Welcome to the Herd is Calling podcast, where we explore the wisdom of the horse and how you can become a purpose-driven equestrian. I'm Josh Williams, who with my wife, Victoria, are your hosts for this podcast. We are the creators of My Horse Journey, a holistic horsemanship coaching program and virtual community. On this show, we'll share insights and stories from our own journey, as well as interviews with incredible horse people, equine therapists, horse advocates, equine assisted service providers, and more. Our goal is to inspire and empower you to understand and connect with horses in ways that are truly transformative. To learn more about our community and programs, visit us at myhorsejourney.com. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Let's get to the episode. Welcome to the Herd is Calling podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We have Barb Cass here in the studio with us. I'm going to introduce Barb and then we'll get to asking her some questions. Okay. Barb was born and raised in Connecticut and has been on the West Coast for the past 45 years. Her career has been about working with families. She co-founded a therapeutic boarding school in 1984 and moved into parent coaching in 2004 when that school closed. Her focus has been on supporting parents to develop more effective parenting through improved communication, self-exploration, and understanding their role in the relationship. Her current goals are focused on my horse journey and how she can be the best horse person she can be. Welcome, Barb. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Great. It's a privilege to have you here. I've known Barb for a couple of years now. And Victoria started working with Barb a little before that with some lessons. And when we first got the idea to do my horse journey, it was more of an immersive experience. We went and visited Barb to float the idea by her and see what she thought. And we were actually not totally sure about it. We're a little insecure because it was new. It was different. And Barb was super supportive. She was all in from the beginning Mm -hmm. and she's been here nonstop ever since. So I feel like we've sort of co-founded some of our frameworks together because you've been really inspirational and influential for all of our stuff. You're the star of one of our testimonial videos. (laughs) Your horse Blake. I just smile every time I see his face and I just really appreciate you appreciate your wisdom appreciate your experience appreciate you supporting and mentoring us and I appreciate you being here to to share your story with everybody else too I've loved every step of it great great maybe we could get started by just zeroing in a little bit on your life today tell us about your horse what a day in the life looks like in your horse life these days in my horse life Well, I've been fortunate to retire mostly, which has been really delightful. And wondering, a couple of years ago when I was thinking about retiring and what I would do, I thought, oh, I'll spend time with Blaze, but I had absolutely no idea it was going to open up to the opportunities that it has. And it Mm. was so serendipitous and great manifesting and all of that to meet you both and to be able to step into this journey with you. And it is as I think I said in one of the clinics, I feel like everything I've done in my life has brought me to this point, which mm. is probably one of the most enjoyable and what I feel really productive and growth steps. I just love it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's been fabulous. Yeah, yeah, awesome. 
So you're out at Ghost Rock Ranch. Yeah. Cherie's on one of our podcasts too, who yeah. who owns and manages Ghost Rock. Beautiful place. Your horse Blaze. Wonder if should we talk about Blaze a little bit? Yeah, tell yeah. us about Blaze. Oh, Blaze, Blaze is, <laughs> I have to be careful so I don't say he's my number one favorite son because my son Colin gets a little bit burned by that. Blaze is phenomenal. He has been a treasure. He's a gift. He came into my life about ten years ago when I was volunteering at Equine Outreach. He came in and for whatever reason with all the horses I'd been handling. I really wasn't working or training them or anything, but just dealing with, he just spoke to me and it was love at first sight. And we have spent all of those 10 years developing our relationship and getting him to a point where he is today, which is, I think, spectacular given where we started. Mm. I mean, he was a rescue, came from an abusive situation and he's just stepped into this whole process and he loves it. And he's thriving. <laughs> mm. Yeah, he's yeah. my joy. <laughs> yeah, he's a beautiful horse. Yeah. Big personality. Yeah. It's, I know it's not real pleasant to think about, but could you mind sharing just the situation that he was rescued from, just for perspective? Yeah, as far as I know, and again, you know, part of this is what I've heard and, and sort of developed, but he came from Prineville, and when... They got a call from the people that had him. They literally said, if you're not here by 5 o'clock, we're going to shoot him. Mm. They couldn't catch him. He was in a pretty crappy situation in terms of his pen. And in fact, when he came in, he was up to above his elbows, I guess. It just all mm. water soggy and a mess. He wasn't undernourished necessarily, but just unkempt and mm. terrified of being caught. And I guess it took quite a while to catch him and, and load him. And he came in and... He was in a round pen because that was the only space they had for him at the time and they, they needed him separated. And he just shook. He, he just stood and shook for days. He just mm. And when I saw him, for whatever reason, he came up and mm. greeted me and the rest is history. Mm. And mm -hmm. I, I spent probably, um, i trying to think, maybe two years still out there, not doing anything with him. I could halter. I was the only one that could halter him or catch him. Mm. He had <laughs> a really bad accident with a hot wire catching him in his hind leg when he was galloping with a bunch of horses out in the field. They cut him almost to the bone, and he couldn't even be treated. I mean, that's how terrified he was all the time. And I was able to groom him and start touching him all over, but didn't have a clue how to work with him. So... In hindsight, and without any, it's just what I could do at the time, I just loved on him and was with him, but I didn't do anything to really work with him. One person did a little bit, but not a lot. He had been ridden, so he was able to be tacked up, but he was just frozen inside. He was just, just gone. He was so disassociated with himself. He would perform, but he was frightened all the time. And I moved from Equine Outreach over to Western Sky Ranch, which is now Mustangs to the Rescue. Uh -huh. And found a trainer, Teresa Bickle. Her husband did Blaze's feet. Um, when I was able to get a, a male farrier, and I worked with a female farrier for years just so he would be afraid. And Teresa was fabulous. She's, I think, from Montana, I don't know. And she just came in and she did a lot of Pirelli work. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you gotta, you gotta step this up. You just mm -hmm. keep traumatizing your horse with your own limitations and fears. And I thought, 
I know that to be true. <laughs> I know that from my work with kids. So she did a lot of preliminary work. And I was told by another trainer, who I really respect, um, that we were doing great work, but I would never ride him, that he was too traumatized to be ridden. But this was great for him anyway, just to be handled. Hmm. And I just kept taking it forward and taking it forward and thinking, we'll find the next trainer when Teresa left and got to ride him. And uh, yeah, and then when we moved to Ghost Rock, I just kept working and doing that. And then the best work has been, obviously, the work, we, well, to me, the work we've done together with him because hmm. he's got so much potential and I'm trying to catch up with it. Right. Yeah. Hmm. All the time trying to catch up with it. <laughs> that's, that's what we're all doing. That's what we're all doing, yeah. <laughs> we're He's all magnificent. Doing. He's just a joy. Yeah, I want to come back to... Well, I actually am just curious. What do you think initially when he wouldn't let anybody else put a mm. halter on him? And what do you think that was between you and him, you and Blaze, that he said, I think I could let this person in just a little bit? God, that's a good question. I didn't have an agenda with him. I had no expectations. Hmm. Um, mm. mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah, right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just like a heart-to-heart. It is yeah. emotional, yeah. yeah. I always get emotional when I think about it. Yeah, it's, I said this, and it sometimes sounds trite, but I was committed no one whispered him. Mm. Again. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was very clear. And I think all of my work with kids and their deep, 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 deep wounds, and that's where I think those parallels, which I really never understood before, but the parallels between working with a horse, especially with with deep wounds, it it, it was it's kind of a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. And it keeps continuing that theme of how you work and build relationships with peers and how you do it with your horse is so apparent to me. And you lose sight of it. I lose sight of it sometimes in some of the tools and skills. But yeah, I just just saw beyond that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I hear too is just you had a very clear intention. Yeah. That was just like the, it was just, it was like a heart-centered, again, not to use all these kind of words that get overused, but it just, and that's what resonated between you and... That's true. I hadn't thought about it in terms of that, but you're exactly right. I did. Said, yeah, my intention, I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I was going to I was gonna do that. Nobody was yeah. ever going to hurt. No. That was your intention. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And he went, I'm with you. Yeah, he said, oh, that's good. That's, yeah. that's good. <laughs> but they do. They, yeah. they feel that. That's the language yeah. that we're trying to get to yeah. all the time. So. Yeah. And I think at that point, I look back and I think, I wish I had more knowledge or I wish I had more skills. But I think it worked in my favor because Mm. I had nothing but patience. I didn't go, I mean, it was fine to just go out and spend, I love spending time with him, just hanging with him, um, taking him for walks. And I didn't have the knowledge or the, the, uh, the foresight to see that I could be doing other things with him. So it gave us really long time to just build a bond. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I, I, I hope people hear that and really take stock too, because those are two of the fundamental principles of connecting and communicating with horses. One is having a solid foundation intention 
it's not like I would like to, it's more of like, I must. And you just know, you know, even though you may not know the steps on how to get there, you know where you're going. And then the other is beginner's mind, which even if you have experience, we try to cultivate that and you had that naturally. So you had these two just really powerful things without knowing, without trying, it was just already there. And then of course, all of your background working with relationship, trauma, healing, connection through your work with families and children. It's a consilient connection where everything lined up. So looking back, it's just like this perfect puzzle where everything actually was fitting together, but you were just in the moment experiencing yeah. it. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Thank you. And in hindsight, and I never framed it the way you just put it, which is lovely to hear. <laughs> I never thought about it like that, but it is true. It's nice to, mm. to actually, in retrospect, look at it and think what the advantages were. I think so many people, and I can relate to this myself, like you just think, oh, I can't really enjoy this until I know more, or I can't really f- identify as maybe a horse person until I've gotten to a certain level, until I can lope easily, and I know all the terminology, and I can walk in a tack room and know what everything is and where it goes, but really, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily, that's nice when you can get all of that, it's part of the journey, acquiring skill and knowledge, but just having that, the heart, the beginner's mind, the intention, that's really where the the marrow of it all is. Uh, I think your story really illustrates that. The fact that he wouldn't trust or connect or even let anybody else associate with him, but you came with those qualities within you and, and who did he trust? So yeah, beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Some of that stuff gets in the way. I mean, it's gotten in my way so many times I've found that because I am like the horse needs to do this and the horse needs to do this. And Mm -hmm. then we can't do that till the horse does this. And often I have to strip down, keep stripping down. Nope. You know, let's get, get deeper, get deeper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's true. Each time I had to do anything with him, whether it was, as I said, he wouldn't let anybody treat that wound. There was an initial treatment of it. They had to, that was the end of it. Mm. And I had to figure out what I was going to do to keep this horse healthy. And I had no idea. So I, played with a hose every day with him for probably four or five months until (sighs) healed. I didn't know, I knew he wasn't going to let a man near him because that's who traumatized him. So I had to find somebody that was willing to work really slowly, just picking up his feet before he could have his feet trimmed. So Mm. every step of that, I had no clue what I was stepping into, (laughs) but we had to figure it out as we went along. And it was always with what was best for him. Always, mm. what was best for him? How hmm. was I going to get him through this? And he sensed it. <laughs> yeah. He knew it. Yeah. He was like, yep, yeah, let's I, do it. it's real. We talked about intention and beginner's mind, but I just thought of the first two values in our manifesto that we all uh, co-created as a community, love. So you had the heart of love and then you had the curiosity. Like you knew you, you must do this. Yeah. It's not a question. So then you were just curious. I'm going to play around with the hose. I'm going to figure this yeah. out. And... And, yeah. and you knew if it took one week or five months, yeah. you're going to get there. Yeah. 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 It was just literally it was day by day. Mm-hmm. It was minute by minute with him always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Great. Before we move on to, I just wanted to see like what, when you first decided to volunteer at this place, mm-hmm. like what, where'd that come from? Why did you choose that? And did you plan on trying to have your own horse to take care of? No. When I was in California, we were on 10 acres. I had a couple of horses. One of them was very old. And my younger one, I sold to somebody that was way more qualified to work with this little Arab than I was. So she got a good home. And I brought Sugar up. 
and boarded her at Western Sky. Okay. Joan Steelhammer sold us our house, and she was just setting up Epoine Outreach at the time, and it wasn't uh. even established. And I, had, the whole time we were looking at houses, I was talking to her about the rescue. I said I want to volunteer there, and I was probably one of the first volunteers. I just went out and oh, mucked okay. for months, just cleaned stalls and whatever. And I was there for I can't remember how many years, and just decided it was probably time to change and figure something else out. And that's when we moved over to Western Sky. But Joan was really dedicated and absolutely committed to horse rescue, and they had just done the Millican Rescue, which was about a 130 horse rescue. It was a collaborative effort, devastating in many respects, and she was very instrumental in following through with that and did terrific work. And a lot of the horses that were out at the rescue were from the Millican Rescue, or a number of them, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just felt really fortunate that I had a place to, in a, you know, a whole new area to go and be with horses. Hmm. Yeah. I was thinking when you talked about catching blaze, like whoever was helping there must have had some skill because that yeah, sounded like John, a really challenging. Yeah. And yeah. Joan was really good at that. She was really patient. She was, yeah, there was so many... There were so many really good things that happened with that. So what, how were you first drawn to horses? Why were you first drawn? To, what, take us back. Mm-hmm. We'll kind of go back and yeah. then we'll come forward again. But where did it all begin for you? You know, I pondered this because I've thought about it and thought mm-hmm. of it. I know I've said, and most of the people involved with this say they never did love horses. Mm-hmm. It feels it feels, it feels feels so old and ancient mm-hmm. to me. I don't think I had a choice. I think it came with me and everything. I was talking with Jim when we were driving the other day that when, even when I see a, a horse out in the pasture, I have to be careful I don't drive off the road. <laughs> well, I can tell you every horse I saw. I couldn't tell you which cars I see or whatever. It's just been a part of me. I have, I have always loved them. I think one of the things that you said in maybe one of our clinics was that you feel seen by them. Mm. And there's something that really does feel ancient. The connection, it just feels home. Mm-hmm. And it's never not felt like that. And I did not have a lot of exposure to horses when I was a kid. I mean, I was thinking on the way out here, my parents did the best they could. And, you know, when we first talked, I said that I'd had lessons periodically, but there were little clumps of lessons. And I've realized recently how, in many ways, unfortunate it is that some of the barns, I did never feel a part of the mm-hmm. barns that I went to. I didn't feel like I had the, the longevity with the situation. I didn't feel like I had a, a team. I just felt like I went and they kind of put you on a horse and you rode and it was like, I'd love that, but I quested for way more than that. And that was hmm. always missing in my, childhood Hmm. yeah I mean and yeah and I didn't have that until my mid-40s when I decided to get a horse I was just like I don't know anything about I'm gonna get a horse and And that was in California California, at that point yeah Yeah. and we had the school at the time and we were on 260 acres and some of it was fenced and I Mm. had a little shed for it and went and basically rescued a horse that had been left to somebody when his wife left him and he didn't know what to do and she was Hmm. A really pretty little, way, way undernourished Arab that once she got nourished was way more horse like. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. But that's how I got started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell us about your school? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Just mm. since you brought it up and that was also the beginning of your next yeah. chapter with yeah. horses. When I was in my mid-20s, I came out to California. I had a pretty 
wild teens and early twenties. Let's I came up through the sixties, so that's that's was pretty crazy. And a lot of a lot of destructive behavior, a lot of you know, we talk about shame, a lot of shame-based behavior. Hmm. And I started volunteering, maybe it was an in- interning, I wasn't volunteering, I was interning at one of the only therapeutic programs for adolescents in the country. There was hmm. nothing available then. There were no wilderness programs, there were no specialized programs. There was nothing. There was one hmm. other school on the East Coast. This was on the West Coast. And I was at that school for eight years. And it was fascinating. It was very cult-like. Mm-hmm. It was based on, on, if you're at all familiar with Synanon, it was a very harsh recovery, but <laughs> drug recovery program that was popular at the time, based on EST and Lifespring and all of those TA programs and TM, Transcendental Meditation, okay. and all of those programs. <laughs> but this was a, it was a fascinating experience. You went through it pretty much even... Even as a staff, you went through it as a student. So workshops and groups constantly and introspection. A lot of shame-based stuff. A lot of it was, was based on that. And it was kind of a concept of tear down the person to their nothing so you can build them up again. And that was sort of the premise at the time. And we, at one point, a group of us decided that we weren't crazy about how things were being run. So we left and co-founded, I co-founded our school in Northern California wow. in 1984. And it was beautiful. We were on 260 acres. It was, it was stunning. It was a lovely, lovely program. Changed many things with it. I ran the counseling department, basically. I was head of the counseling. And... Yeah, we worked with adolescents. It was about a two-year program, so we had kids for a couple of years. So it was all about creating relationships and bonding. And again, as we've talked about, there's a lot of things now, in hindsight, I would have done very, very differently. Some of the kids that we didn't serve very well because of some of their challenges. And we also did some fabulous work and created lifelong relationships with kids that are now in their 40s, Mm. 50s, you know, so, and it was about healing the family and bringing these kids back to themselves and allowing them to fall in love with themselves again and who they, who the essence of them was and who and what they'd lost and how to get that back. So it was, yeah, it was, it was magnificent. Amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. And it, it, unfortunately, a lot of the things that we didn't like about our initial program that I was with got dragged along with us. And it, it was, there was a lot of unhealthy management styles and that kind of thing. And it imploded. I mean, we went from being literally the top of the game at one point and, and it closed very suddenly and very, very traumatically. Mm. And it was one of the probably most difficult transitions I've ever made in my life. It was very painful. Wow. And I had no choice. It was like, now what? You know, you've lost everything, and now what? And the now what was stepping into coaching and mm-hmm. deciding I was going to try and figure out the next phase, and that's what I did. Yeah. How long was that school open? 20 years. 20 years, yeah. and you had eight years before that of yeah. working with the other yeah. group. Yeah. And then you, yeah. wow. <laughs> Yeah, and then when we moved up to Bend in 2005, I was working at a young adult program, college program in town that a friend of mine had started. 
and did some coaching for them and then eventually just bought parent coach professionals and took over some for some folks that had brought me on board. And my business partner, Vicki, and I have had that for 11 years. So tell us about Parent Coach Professional. Well, Parent Coach Professionals, which is changing as we speak, right. and, the, and the industry is changing, sadly. Our focus is with parents. Mostly we contract with parents whose students or kids have been put in program. So there's programs now all over the country that are brilliant. They work with different profiles of students and they really have explored how to help them develop life skills, work with their challenges, figure out who they are, create a healthier, different relationship with their parents because most of this has been pretty disruptive. We work with parents almost exclusively, try and look at what their strengths are. Most parents will start off because they are in crisis when we begin working with them. They'll start talking about what they've done wrong and we want to focus on what you might have lost the way, but what do you know has worked? What what do you do well? Mm. (laughs) What are your goals? What are your intentions? Mm. They often want to focus on their child's goals and intentions, so our work is to bring them back to themselves and often look at what are some of their patterns, what are some of the things that they have done that they can change. Certainly communication is probably one of the biggest things we do. We talk about boundaries. (laughs) We talk about, I mean, it's exactly the same thing, which is ironic because you're always talking to me about you have to have clearer boundaries with Blaze. You know, and meeting the parents where they are in the moment. And that's the hugest piece because they come to us in crisis. They come to us in deep shame Mm -hmm. and guilt and embarrassment and every single level of everything that we've all experienced. And we listen Mm. (laughs) and we reflect back and we mirror and we try not to advise. We try to allow individuals to find their own answers in a way that works for them most effectively (laughs) so that there's sustainability in what they're doing. I love it. I love it. Because the parents that come to us, they want something different. Mm. They love their children deeply. They've tried everything you know they said we've done this we've done this they feel like they've got a litany of things that they have tried and they feel have failed at so it's an opportunity for them to incrementally get some successes and build on them hmm. yeah as a parent sounds amazing sounds really nice yeah because yeah, it's so fraught parenting it's, It is. I think it's, you know, much like we look back at the work we've done with the horses or anything we've done, it's so easy to identify and own and stick with the stuff that you've screwed up. Mm -hmm. But we don't often really recognize and um, give ourselves credit and celebrate our victories, Mm -hmm. which we're not taught to do, you know, Mm -hmm. culturally and everything we're just not taught that that's something that you get to do for yourself you don't get to pat yourself on the back you're supposed to go in and confess for god's sakes (laughs) let's identify the good stuff yeah yeah it's really fun i love it one thing that you've helped me out a lot with is being more confident with not needing to help people and i'm talking about horsemanship and riding instruction and horsemanship instruction and horse training you've helped me with you know, you don't, it's actually works better and you don't have to 
give everybody the answers right that that they are asking for like it's better to facilitate their own process and that has been so powerful for me as a as a writing instructor and as facilitators of this program that we're doing my horse journey because it does it's more effective when folks figure out their own way that works for them you have these principles that you sort of and this framework that you guide through it's so much it's so fun it's fun. It's challenging. It also, is challenging. Number one, there's lots of kudos for having the answers for everything all the time. Right. You know, and it's like, oh, aren't I clever? But what what is <laughs> what is really good is to be able to be in that place of curiosity and let let them find that so that it again it's got to have more longevity. Most people want you to give the answers. Exactly. I mean, certainly in our work. And I'm sure with you as well. But that's the interesting piece too. Yeah. It's like you actually I sometimes I feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not doing my part of the yeah. deal when I'm not just do it this way, right. you know. Right. And they and oftentimes people will just say to me, Could you just tell me? You know, they they'll get annoyed with me. <laughs> I'm just asking you, what would you do? And I just you just have to flip it back and you mm-hmm. keep flipping it back. And also think I use a lot of humor. <laughs> you have to because mm-hmm. otherwise you crumble it's a great thing to point out to people which is what's going on with your discomfort right now mm. what would be what would be different if i gave you the answer rather than you finding the answer so that's all part of the exploration and you're doing i watch you do that all the time mm. yeah now oh, that's so cool though it's it's it is fun it can be more uncomfortable yeah but i do agree it's so much more sustainable and horses you know, it really is a relationship that you're trying to yeah. build. So for an instructor or the quote-unquote professional or expert to come in and say, do this this way, it doesn't always translate the same. So you really, people, I think, do better when they come at it with their unique gifts and right. talents and perspectives. Right. But that does take some mining well, and you might plant the seed. I mean, you know this. I was talking to Josh before you came in. There was something Chrissy said the other day that you've we've talked about endlessly, and I finally practiced it at the barn the other day. Hmm. I mean, I go out probably five days a week, and I thought, don't talk. Do it half time. Move your horse away from where he's always see. And I have a very different day with him. How many times have we talked about that? <laughs> so you plant seeds. Mm-hmm. And they show up when they can, when you're ready for them. And that, I think, is, that's a hard, you're a placeholder for that. Mm. Hmm. Uh, And that's a big responsibility. As an instructor, teacher, whomever, parent. Right. Mm. Right. Right. I want to get back to the parallels between Mm. parent coaching and horses, because there's so many interesting parallels, and I'm really excited to connect those dots with you. I was wondering at first, you you have this unique perspective because when you first started working at the first place you worked, you said there was only two in the country. Yeah. Now it's like a huge industry. It's all over the place or several right here in Central Oregon. And then you started your own. Like you've just seen the arc of this industry really form. And I'm curious, you said in passing that things are changing now. And you said sadly. So I was just curious, what's going on there? There's been a lot of... When we first started, when I first started working with kids, there was no restrictions. I mean, we spent time with kids. We'd have kids over to our house. They'd come over for meals. They'd come over for holidays. You could, 
sit and, you know, put your arm around him, you could hug him. There's been so much that's happened that's just tightened all of that up. Some of it for the good and very important. Mm -hmm. And then there's been a ton of legislation that's happened. People get panicked when they hear stories. Um, when you've got an industry as big as ours, there's going to be problems. There's going to be mismanagement. There's going to be deaths. There's going to be all kinds of stuff that happen. And so rather than, I think, really exploring that, they've just keep tightening it and tightening it and making it more restrictive. And it's an expensive industry. You mm -hmm. cannot, I mean, the, the schools that I'm talking about are really expensive. It's like putting your kid through a college education. And so many people can't do that. So now what is happening is a lot of programs are going to be more insurance-driven and short-term. So what were longer-term programs, like there's no two- or three-year programs. I mean, if we needed a kid for three years, the parents were willing to do it. We had them. Wow. Now it's like three months. Mm. I mean... It'd be like taking a horse in for three months and doing, you know, quick training and thinking it's going to be sustainable. So that what saddens me about it is I think it's not spectacular for the child, and I don't think families can move hmm. and shift and change and figure out things that quickly, not with so much trauma in their past. So it's not happening everywhere, but we're watching a trend. Okay. And I think also COVID, you know, impacted that as well. So there's a lot mm. of things that are happening. So at this point in my life, I'm, I'm really not doing much more of the program coaching. I'm doing mostly private coaching. Mm. And it's, it's a good time for me to step back from that, mm. having seen the whole trajectory. Hmm. Interesting. So if I'm hearing you correctly, there's a combination of legislative and regulatory yeah. tightening. And then on top of that, the length of time you're able to work with people yeah. has gone from multi-year to like yeah. a few months, if that. In, in some programs. I mean, it's mm -hmm. becoming more attractive. What's happened is it could be a money-making business. So you've got mm -hmm. corporations coming in. I was just going to say, mm. it, it sounds to me like the slippery slope of the, the corporatization yes, of healing. And yeah, it and it's never, mm. yeah. that's never going to be a good thing. Not in my book. Right. No, no I've watched. And in fact, that's part of what destroyed this school that we had. I mean, there was so many factors involved. <clears throat> but part of that, people seeing the opportunity to sell a program, and they sell it to big business, and they say you're going to remain autonomous, but you can't. They mm. want heads on beds, as they say. Oh, wow. Right. Right. Yes. Okay. And there are brilliant programs out there sure. that are completely love and respect, and they're hanging on and really trying to do um, the best that they can with it. But it's a challenge huh. these days. Okay. The things working against them. Yeah. Well, does that, is that part of why your new business, Parent Coach Professionals, is that why you're focused more on parents or was that always the case? No, it was uh, always the case. Okay. And when I first started doing this work, I mean, back in the late 70s, parents were completely eliminated from the process. They were considered the bad guys. I mean, they really were villainized. And it was partially because of the group I was working with and the work we did. It was like, we're we're missing a huge part of our team. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. Hmm. So that's where we created parent workshops, parent seminars. I would go to different parent groups around the country to help them sustain what they were learning. And we embrace that. And I will say, with, I really feel clear that we have put parent coaching on the map. I mean, it was unheard of. They were like, what are you talking about? So we have really established that. So most programs now either want to do their own parent coaching internally or they hire out to do it. But everybody, even therapists now, are 
are really embracing that, the whole concept. So there's a lot of wonderful movement with that and a lot of growth around that. It's fabulous. So you saw that need yeah, quite yeah. a while back yeah. and filled that void. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. I can only think of, it's, I mean, not to just quantify value, but you've probably helped thousands of yeah. kids and or families, which would be many thousands of people yeah, it is. then. Yeah. Yeah, truly. It yeah. Is. I mean, that's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's powerful. Yeah. It's kind of interesting just to tie it back to horses and the consiliency. That's similar was our motivation with my horse journey was after for years working more goal centric, you know, that even in the trainer industry mm -hmm. where people drop a horse off, say, I want to yeah. compete in cutting this year. I want to do the show circuit and get my horse ready for me. And then, you know, you come back a few lessons and they go off. Yeah. So the idea was more to put the focus on the people, you know, our inner journey, so to speak, the horsemanship begins within to think about what's going on within yourself and how that is affecting your relationship. So I'm, I'm seeing a parallel there. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, it's hours of conversation mm -hmm. about it because we're talking about what are the most intimate relationships you can have between you and your horse. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, if you, if you can't journey inside, you'd buy by a bicycle. True, <laughs> true, a hundred percent. That's like yeah, that's yeah, that's like my yeah. I totally thank yeah. you for saying. Oh no, it's yeah. I don't get it. You know, the buying and selling and mm -hmm. it's it makes, mm -hmm. it hurts my heart. Just thinking about the visionary space that you must have been in to see through sort of the villainization of the parents yeah. and the sort of the shaming the parents and it's the parents and realizing that no actually the parents are part of the team you yeah. said yeah. and I think about that to me that's amazing because it means that you were really listening to the kids because kids want their parents to be involved kids want hmm. their parents to be part of the team the yeah. parents like that's who they want yeah. to figure this stuff out and i feel like that's with the horses it's like they just want their person to see them and they want to know that their person notices that the horse is seeing their person and it's so, so true yeah and when you're in it and you're developing this. I mean, it, it would sound terrific and I would sound really bright if I thought, boy, I really had this long-term vision. You're in it. And so you're creating it as you go mm -hmm. along or all of a sudden things start fitting together. So it, hmm. it really is when you're immersed in it. Mm -hmm. I look back and I think, oh, yeah, that was really good. But at the time, it's like, oh, we've got to do something different here. Okay. How can we be working so deeply with these kids and then send them back to a situation which hasn't transitioned or done anything different at all. Hmm. And the kids, when we were working with them, so much of their grief and loss was the loss of that connection with their parents. Yes. So what are we doing? Right. You know, if we don't bring that full circle and we don't bring the parents back in, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, it's for naught. So... The kids always loved nothing better than knowing their parents were coming to do the work. Right. They were like, we're not, I'm not alone. I'm not the black sheep. I'm not the bad kid. Because we always said you're enrolling your whole family in this. Yeah. Everybody's got to do their work. Mm -hmm. Because we can't, we're not just going to fix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got so many light bulbs going so off. So many. Yeah. 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 
the first one is just like you said, having clients bring horses into training <sighs> and leave them for, you know, even for long periods, months and months and months. And then the horse would go home after they'd been in training and in a very specific program for a long time had a a knowing that was centered around that experience and then they go to their new house or their new home with their people and sure enough a few weeks later you get a call like this isn't this isn't working (laughs) like well and then they trainer shop Exactly. Mm. It must be the trainer. Yeah, let's Mm -hmm. find it must be well it's the trainer, it's the horse, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. it's that it's always outside. Mm -hmm. You know, I suppose sometimes that might be the case but not most of the time. Sure. I don't think so. I think, yeah, very little of the time. Yeah, very little mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah. yeah. It seems like so much of what you're speaking about, it's a great teaching example talking about kids because kids are naturally innocent. You know, it's not like they are naturally bad, right? They may do things that are not good for themselves or for others, but that's usually based on trauma. Yeah. And that probably didn't originate within them. Like they were born into this world unburdened. So where did that come from? And then it's this long thread. I mean, it may be multi-generational. certainly involves the parents and the family. So just that trauma-informed lens, I guess, is is how it's said now. But it seems like you said, in the trenches, just doing the work, you, you just saw that. It was probably plain as day to you. Sometimes it was plain as day, sometimes, and sometimes it would just pop up in the middle of something and you'd go, <laughs> we used to laugh about this, I'd be running workshop after workshop after workshop and there'd be clunky parts of the workshop and you'd think, are we ever going to get through this? And about your 500th workshop and you go, oh, we could tweak this a little bit and be a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we've been doing like this for years and we never <laughs> thought of this one little tiny tweak that would change everything. And that's how it would happen sometimes. We just laugh at ourselves and go, God, just because we've done it a million times doesn't mean it's the right way. And that would often be why we would create something different. We have a saying around our house, that would have been good to know yesterday. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. epiphanies you have. It's really like, true. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it, was, it was like a mash unit. Like, I don't know, maybe this tool would work better yeah. than we did it. So. But that's exciting, yeah, too. It was, it yeah, it was mm-hmm. never dull. Mm-hmm. It was never dull. I think that speaks to the value of what you do, too. It would take me, like you, just to use your example, it would take me 500 workshops to figure that out, but you could tell somebody out the gate. So that's one of the powers of mentorship and learning. It's like you can take decades and turn it into days through all of this. You have a lifetime of... of experience and knowledge to pull from, but that's where horses and kids, they really are such great parallels just from that authenticity, the clean slate, just the 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 willingness, the the grace. The willingness, the grace, willingness to look at some. Because when you said how excited they were, like they want that connection. They want to have the parents involved. And we feel that with the horses, like they are, they instantly perk up. They want to connect. You don't ride deer or elk. It's like they're prey animals similarly built. Victoria's grandpa said horses don't have to let us ride them. So there's a part of them that seeks and enjoys connection and relationship. It's discovering that and then uncovering what it takes to get there. And those are the universal principles that apply to horsemanship or parent coaching equally, I think. Thank you for joining us on the Herd is Calling podcast. Remember, you can learn more about our programs and our community at myhorsejourney.com.
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. That would help us tremendously. We appreciate you listening. And as always, may the horse be with you.